Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is not a diving podcast with Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. This week on the show, we have a producer who's had some proper hit records. By hit records, I mean in the most modern sense of the term. Over a billion streams, I believe it is, on his Ocean Drive track. And he's had a good few more that are in the hundreds of millions kind of a range. So this is some proper proper hit records but within the kind of dance music side of things he's done it in a pretty tasteful way as well I have to say nothing kind of EDM-y about any of it of course it's Duke Dumont he started off on Turbo Records so the first big tune was on there The Giver and he has I guess sort of ploughed his own path really since then And of course, we talk about all that and we talk about his experiences in LA on major label record deals and concerning albums and all of that stuff. So great to have him here. I think we're just going to get into it this week. Nothing else really. Obviously, I've got a few things to say afterwards about releases and stuff. And actually, I do have a show this weekend, in fact, so I'll just say that now, playing in Sheffield this Friday, 1st of July. So come down and uh, yeah, have a dance if you're in the area. But yeah, just before we get into it, leave us a review or a rating wherever you're listening to this podcast. Join us in Discord if you've got anything to say about it, any suggestions, anything you'd like to see, any criticism. Hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord to get in to that Discord server. There's a Not A Diving podcast channel within it. And finally, follow the Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that, which contains all of the music or much of the music anyway that we discuss on the show plus all the episodes of course and all that stuff so without further delay here is Duke Dumont Duke Dumont welcome to the show how you doing I'm good I'm good Paul uh, feel free to call me Adam uh, first name terms yeah let's do that absolutely you're in LA at the moment I believe yeah, I lived here for um, 
close to six, seven years. Um, mostly just for nothing to do business related, just for a change of scene, um, just to enjoy the lifestyle. Always in, enjoyed spending some time over here. And I've, I kind of felt with touring as well, to be able to come back to a place that, you know, kind of felt like a little retreat, a little kind of holiday home, uh, was going to give me a bit more longevity in, uh, in getting on the road. So, yeah, for those reasons, and I, I've just stayed, um, just stayed and enjoyed it. I got, got, I mean, I've got family now and, uh, you know, kind of settled in. So, yeah, got to be here for the, for the distant future, I reckon. Yeah, I've always enjoyed LA personally. Um, it's, a, it's a great city. I've always I had a real kind of good vibe from the place, but that's definitely not, um, it's not the case for everyone, is it? It's got a bit of a reputation, uh, like particularly in music. What's your, I guess the question is like, what's your kind of experience been of the music industry over there? Like versus you know, coming from London, obviously, like how much like a sort of Brett Easton Ellis novel is it? Well, I'm a hermit by nature. I was a hermit when I lived in London. I was a hermit. Actually, when I lived in London, I was the least of a least hermit I've been in 20 years. When I ran out of money, had to be to the countryside, I become a full-on hermit. And in Los Angeles, again, I'm a full-on hermit. I, I could be anywhere in the world. Um, I kind of disconnect and disassociate from anything other than making music and playing music myself. So you don't see me at parties, you don't see me um, at fashion shows or anything like that. So I don't, I don't utilize probably what people feel they should come to LA for. Um, I came here purely because it's a nice place to, well, for, for some people it's a nice place to live. Um, and I, you know, I come from, and I come to Los Angeles. I've only seen one side of the city. You know, you know. Let's be honest. You know, I haven't experienced to see um, the rough or the smooth. Uh, growing up in London, uh, that was a different case. Uh, you know, it's the uh, it's the tale of two cities for me. In in London, I've seen I've seen both sides of that. Um, Where are you uh, from in London? I'm from Northwest London, so I grew up in a little place called Rainers Lane. Um, I grew up in Willesden. Um, so around, yeah, uh, Harrow and Brent is, uh, is where I grew up, um, and where I was until about, about 23, 24. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, then I moved out to the countryside, which was, um, which was a, a good and a bad move in many reasons, but moving out to the countryside really allowed me to hone, hone in on, on my craft and uh, music making, because there's just no distractions. Uh, there's nothing to do out there. Is um, you know, like, like I said, you know, being a hermit, that really wasn't a uh, that really wasn't a uh, a joke or an exaggeration. Um, <laughs> it's it's pretty much my ar- archetype. Um, I'm not sure, but you know, I think it's um, young said there's like I don't know how many archetypes, like twelve or thirteen, something like that. I'm definitely, uh, I definitely um, feel the hermit archetype, but that's um, that's part and parcel. I think, I think to a degree, I, I think with what we all do, um, you know, with, whether you're a DJ, whether you're a record producer, whether you're a touring artist or whatever, it's kind of forced upon everybody to to a degree. Um, so you know, I'm not 
it's not just myself. I think it's just everything that most um, people involved in electronic music probably, probably, probably become. Yeah, I mean, it also I think probably attracts people of that nature as well. I think making music just kind of um, is is something that people who are slightly introverted quite often do. I mean, obviously there are the extroverts of, of the industry too, and of course, and you know, being a being a sort of front man, charismatic front man requires that to an extent. But actually often those people off stage are not quite what they are on it anyway. But um just returning to to LA, like, you know, you, you said that you you don't engage with the scene, the kind of wider scene. But like how has it changed your experience of of the industry like you've been there like a while now but you had a lot of success prior to your move so you're someone who's you know been on major labels you've had big hits like really big hits um in fact you're the first person on the podcast really that we've had who has had genuine <laughs> hit records i mean T- tiga's been on but like i mean tiga's biggest hit was was back in the sort of old music paradigm if you know what I mean. Yeah, he was, he was on top of the pops, remember? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But this was prior to Spotify and, and all that. But but yeah, but the question was, how has being in LA, like how has it been different for you in your kind of journey in the music industry per se? Um, okay, I mean, firstly, you know, you're talking about hit records and and, and that kind of stuff. Um, like my, my ego is like, completely detached now from the amount of streams or the amount of sales a record makes it never used to be but it never used to be when I when I had to make a living you know when I was making £8,000 a year for three or four years you know it's it wasn't then now I have the absolute privilege and luxury to to not necessarily really chase the monetary side of the music business. However, things I've learned along the way regarding the process of music making, the process of touring, um, haven't left me. You know, there's certain there's certain things you you pick up. I mean, I could go. In, I, I'd, I'm going to kind of cut myself short slightly because I don't want to go into a 90-minute tutorial about certain things that are in songs you hear on the radio. You know, I I could break it down and, you know, say, tell you why, you know, why the word you is in like 80% of hit records, why you have to have the song title most of the time in the first minute of the song, why why you have this, why you have that, you know, the, you know, it's the ELF type approach. I, I kind of, done it myself not that it was that calculated I, I always the the one thing I, I've stayed with music and has always stuck with me for 20 years now is there's there's magic in there there's 50% of it is magic 50% of it you just can't explain so it's basically transmutating the emotion something has on you trying to relay that to the listener so when you're in the studio or even if you hear a piece of music all of us 
no matter if you've got hit records or you just uploaded your first song to SoundCloud, we all uh, have an innate feeling of this left an impression on us and we are now going to be the instrument to try and have that effect on other people. And that's the magic. That is the absolute magic from creator to listener. It's the magic. Now, I know you're itching to get stuck into all the dirty bit in the middle, which I'm happy to get, to get stuck into. <laughs> no, which, no, 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 no. I mean, but never, never lose the magic. Never lose the magic. It's very simple. What has an effect on you? Regurgitate, put your fingerprint on it, send it out, put it on to other people. Now, that does come from knowing your craft and having the enthusiasm and the excitement to continue to do that, which can come and go. No one's perfect. No one has this constant excitement or enthusiasm, especially if you've been doing it for many years. But it's probably been the one consistency in most people's lives, if you've been doing it for a long time, that you still have a passion for music. And that's... um, And if you have that, then it's just does not matter if you have a hit record it doesn't matter if no one listens to your music but the people that do take something from that we're we're in an industry where the reality is no one has to really lose in order for us to win there's not many industries you work for an insurance company the job is how many people are you going to try and screw out of and giving them insurance money in order for the company to profit. If you're a banker, you want people to remortgage their houses. There's usually in this world, there's usually a, you know, when there's usually a balance with something's good going to happen, it's some, some, something has to suffer. That's usually the balance of life. But with music, it's, it's, it's we're, we're in a very, very unique industry where it's like the, the only competition, the, the only negativity I see is, infighting amongst DJs oh you know what's my billion and what's this and what's that but it gets to a level where you shouldn't you you, you are your own competition if you're squabbling about so and so being above you oh they got more Instagram followers or this is right well get some more music out you know all of that side and if that's the worst thing about this industry it's not a bad fucking industry you know what I mean you're, you're not when you leave this plane you're not gonna you're not leaving this huge level of like negativity or you know or an imprint of you know nastiness so you know any any music creator listening to this um have peace of mind no, no matter how, how hard it gets the you're really not having a negative impact on the world so if you're david getter <laughs> making billion streaming records like you whether you like his music or you don't you know, really, he's made a lot of people happy. If you're Aphex Twin making some acidy, garbly gook that no one really really understands, but it's 25 years ahead of everybody else, then it's, it's there's people that gain something from that. So, you know, it's like there's a lot of division amongst um, amongst the dance music fraternity. And from someone that has seen both sides of it, and trust me, I've seen both sides of it. I've DJed at, believe it or not, I've DJed at some relatively cool clubs like around Europe and around the world, <laughs> but also been on before Tiesto at a festival. You know, it's not many people have seen both sides. And trust me, they're not that different. They are not that different. 
They really aren't. If anything, there's more ambition from the perceived underground than there is from like EDM DJs. It's, um, wow. Okay, that's that's a statement. I mean, there's lots in what you've just said that, that I want to unpack. But like, it's not a statement. It's an experience. <laughs> I've seen. I've seen it. When you're referring to like the ambition of people in the underground versus the ambition of people, I mean, underground and overground are problematic terms anyway. It should be said. But the, the people who consider themselves to be part of this kind of clubbing un- underground or like the underground techno scene or whatever, like, I mean, is it just because? <sighs> Is it just because people are like thirstier, if you know what I mean, at that level? I mean, there's definitely, I think, an element of that. But then there's also this kind of pseudo kind of moralistic element that creeps into underground scenes. I think techno is kind of prone to that sort of, um, those sorts of forces within it, you know, kind of, well, we've talked about before on the show and kind of called it a sort of conservatism, which kind of comes out in, in the audience and also in some of, the production and the way the music can go around in circles. I mean, I wonder how you think about sort of that side of it, as you said, having seen both sides. How do you feel about all that stuff? Um, So to, just so in a nutshell, just to, in in one sentence, so you kind of want to defend what you're speaking about, the kind of conservative nature of kind of locking down things in the scene so sorry there's a lot to digest if you if you in, in one so that, that was that was wasn't I was, I was really trying, a question was I, was trying, I was trying to like one i've got like the worst memory in the world but number two i was trying to like the last 10 seconds i was trying to digest what the question was so um so yeah so in one sentence Paul, what, what what was the question what I'm asking you really is how you feel about those sorts of conservative. I mean, I well, I, mean, I want to say a little bit more about how you feel about you know those those sorts of things and also how they kind of manifest themselves in different scenes. To to each their own. To each their own. To each their own. If you if you if you if that's the way you want to go, um, and that's the way you want to kind of restrict things. And uh, but in but it's like um, it's like Twitter, all right? Everyone's up in up in arms, you know, Twitter shut the bands, all these people, blah, 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 and they do this, and it's very politically biased, and it does this. Yeah, I, 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 I don't like that, but it's, it's, it's a company. It's, their, it's, the, it's a company. You know, it's capitalism. It's a company can kind of do what it wants within a degree. It's not, it's not a public service. Um, so it's like... The, it's a, it's, I mean, some people would argue that it should be. Yeah, but that's a socialist state then that's when it's like it should be a public service then you know it's uh, you know we're going back to you know USSR times but yeah it's um, it's, it's some it's, if someone runs a label or they or or whatever then it's um, it, they run it however they want to run it it's just I, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's going to give the, that person longevity because I think what it all comes down to is no one wants to relinquish power and it comes to a point with with success or power within anyone in any field. I think it it's a, it's a young person's world because the excitement and the energy that you might have when you're 18 doesn't really compare to someone in their 50s. So in order to retain what they have they have to put blocks in the way now that's truly repugnant to culture when culture is almost doesn't move when it's like water and it doesn't move and it's still water 
fungus starts to grow. It starts to get a bit smelly and disgusting. I like the idea when things culturally change um, and and kind of get better and, you know, offer something new and, uh, it's, you know, to, to, what, to what's going on. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm anti, like, I'm anti-restriction, but I'm also not anti-telling someone how to run their business or or how to run their label or whatever. It's up, it's up to them, you know, because there'll be another label that doesn't do that. So, yeah. Let, let me ask you just on what you've just said about, you know, how culture needs to be sort of, needs to regenerate itself. And it does that through, through the generations, right? Young people coming in with their own takes on on whatever's going on, whatever is, you know, whatever area of culture you're talking about. So, I mean, one of the things that I've talked about previously on the show, we had a, Dave Clark and I had a kind of long bit on this, was like the extent to which like club music has kind of gone round in circles and to me is beginning to look a little bit like rock in the way that rock kind of idolises the 60s sort of electronic dance music, idolises the 90s and goes around in these kind of circles, kind of imitating various trends which which happened in the 90s, you know, the, the kind of hard techno thing that's going on now being an example of that. Like, do you see that or are you a bit more optimistic about the way things are now? I 100% see that. No, I'm, I'm, I'm like, when I'm speaking right now, <clears throat> I'm kind of speaking with some authority or... And it's, that's really not the case. All right? So what, what I am saying is not the gospel. So I just want to throw that out there. But but what I am saying is is coming from someone who really has experienced exactly what you just mentioned. So what you just mentioned is this kind of nostalgic stroke, you know, it never got better than this era. Um, that is still very present in dance music, both on all levels, whether it's, you know, something being played on streaming services to something that's being played in the club. And I thought about this for years and I kind of worked out why it is. There's something within, there's something innate in people that likes familiarity. So when someone is in their car and they're listening to Drive Time Radio, on the way to work, on the way back to work, when they're listening to the Spotify playlist. Most people, not all people, most people don't really want to be challenged. So they basically, there's familiarity. They want to hear things that are familiar. They want, they want comfort from music, okay, as opposed to to be challenged or, or new. Now, not everybody is like that, but a lot of people are like that. And I'll give you an example. I, I made a, made a record called Need You 100%. And it um, <clears throat> it did really well in the charts, blah, blah, blah. It actually, you know, it, it meant, you know, I could pay my bills, which is nice. Um, but the the embryo of, of the record is basically, it's a throwback record. The, the sonic of it is, the elements of it, is M1 piano, blah, 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 vocal hooks, good performance on the vocal, blah, blah, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But when you dissect that, 
there was no difference to it. It wasn't challenging on one level to anyone that understands house music or dance music. You know, it, it was hook after hook, you know, piano from the clap to the vocals. But what had happened was the UK was completely familiarised with house music in the 90s, unlike America. Like, house music was just, like, completely suppressed and um, kind of just did not break through in the US, ironically, in, in the late 90s. But it was our pop music. So what happened with Niju was it basically reignited that familiarity. And because everyone was kind of familiar subconsciously with certain sounds on that song it was it didn't challenge people when they heard it on daytime radio now fast forward to that was 2013 fast forward to 2022 listening to mainstream uk radio which i try to educate myself makes me nauseous because <laughs> it's just <laughs> unbelievable like the regurgitation, like I it reignited a beast I did not want to. I I I'm grateful for. <laughs> oh, it's your fault. Are you taking are you taking the blame for this? I'm, I'm glad someone's going. Par- <laughs> partly, but partly not because by hook or by the decision. Here's the, the the irony is that there was a there was a batch of us around 2012 2013 who basically made music exactly what I said at the start of the podcast that we made music because certain things excited us. We, we genuinely have an admiration for particular records, particular songs. So whether it's Disclosures, you know, um, love for UK Garage, and they absorbed that and put their fingerprint on it. Myself, you know, MK had been doing it for 20 years before, but, you know, he was, he, he was back on the scene doing his thing, Reunited for whoever. Like, it wasn't popular. Sorry, it... it let me change that. It wasn't a route to success. It wasn't like, it was It was just... Not a guaranteed route in the way that it is now, you mean? It wasn't a guaranteed. And now, what, hap- what where it is now is, you stick an M1 piano on it, it's a guarantee. It's like, okay, well, it's, 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 it's yeah. And um, it's fucking boring. It's just fucking boring. And it's like, what what is going to, what's, what's challenging... That and, and and the reality is this. I don't think mainstream music is worth fuck all nowadays. I mean, and I'll give you I'll give you an example. I know I know a few acts that have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of plays, and they can't sell a fucking ticket to a show. I know an I know an act I know an act, you, you know, you take someone like Rufus DeSoul or Odessa or someone like that, and they they no one is streaming their music. These guys are selling 40,000 tickets to stadiums. Stop looking at fucking streaming numbers, all right? Yep. The, the reality is, with an artist, it's like the person that listens to your music, say say you, you have a badge of that artist. Okay. Are you going to wear that badge walking down the street or are you going to be embarrassed? Yeah, that's a that says a lot, doesn't it, the answer to that question? Don't become that act where people are embarrassed to to tell other people that you're a fan of theirs, however you secretly listen to on the side. You know, don't become that act. That is not a career. It really is. Let me ask you though, like, you know, you just said that 
you know, mainstream music is a bit of an embarrassment right now. And I think that's true. It's fair. Um, it's, it's, it's... Uh, at a kind of wider level. That, yeah, so you just kind of anticipate the question there. But like, like the, you do get moments where mainstream music really does change and really does become interesting, right? And the 90s was, was one of those periods. And there have been... I don't know. I mean, I mean, a few things happened in the nineties. Actually, not just dance music. I mean, the whole grunge thing happened, which was just a complete ripping up of like you know eighties hair metal, for example. And just you know, you you get these moments. And I guess I've been. I, I guess you could argue that there has been one in hip hop with the kind of the the different messaging now that you get in hip hop, which is a big change from the kind of classic thing of the nineties. You know, that that kind of early or say mid era of hip hop. You know the whole Biggie and and um, Puffy and, and all those guys for that to turn into a Kendrick Lamar type messaging. That's a big change. So so I mean, are those moments kind of tangible? Are they predictable in any kind of a way, or is it just a cyclical thing? They're they're all a bit predictable because I, I, I from you, you mentioned in hip hop, they and the same could be said for I could speak more for dance music than I can for hip hop, but. Most a lot of music tends to stem from kind of community or something beyond an individual's ego. Um, dance music in particular. So you know the one thing with with uh, like I wasn't I was eight years old in the nineties or so. You know I was like I don't I can't speak about the music in nineties. But the one thing I get perception of is that it wasn't about the superstar. The idolation. It wasn't about the idolation of the superstar. Is about the idolization of the experience, the communal experience, which is now, which has been lost for a long time, both in hip hop and kind of has in dance music. Now, there's nothing better with music than creating a communal experience where there is no division, everybody is in the moment, and they are forgetting about the woes of their week. You know, that's why that's why there's a rich history in the UK within dance music and getting fucked up at the weekend and having a fucking great time. Because the UK is quite a repressive place. It's a hard it can be a hard place to live. Especially if you're working a nine to five and you're living for the weekend. And that absolute kind of you know, whether you go to a football match and you go mental or a football match, you you need that release, especially when you're younger. You need you need that release. So to provide a soundtrack for that is fucking great. And if you can do that now, speaking about the kind of the bigger changes within within uh, dance music, whatever. Um, when you know when the idolization of the person standing behind two decks started coming into play, it mutated. When social media came along, it killed. There was no underground. You know, like, I still remember, like, going to Australia and, like, the dance music scene was really pretty poor down there because they were very isolated. Social media came along. They got some of the best fucking producers in the world down there now making, like, dance music because social media and the, inter- and the internet just changed it all. It, it, it just opened up the world. Um, but the... The, the what the, the pendulum I, I do see is the like you, you mentioned with hip hop, you know with you know you're talking about P Diddy and people like that. It's, it is about ego. It's like look at me, I'm rich, 
I got all this money, you know, I'm a fucking baller, blah, blah, blah. You know, look at, like, I remember, I remember watching the Puff Daddy videos and, like, seeing the fucking fish eye lens and seeing the cars and the jets and being like, wow, that's fucking great. You know, it's like the way Pitbull does a video. It's like, it's like, no, if I was, like, 11 years old, I'd be like, yeah, that's cool. You know, I want that one day. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have found it gross back then. But then you mentioned Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar's not like that. But, yeah, he's probably arguably the most successful person in hip hop. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the thing. It's 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 the ability to change like that and do something genuinely new. I, I do think that's coming in dance music. I do think that's coming in dance music. When certain you the funniest thing in dance music that's taken place over the last few years is the masquerade or some of the biggest DJs in the world pretending they're house music. Why they why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? Because they know they're not stupid. So it's, it's like to masquerade yourself now as a house music act, whereas you had made a living out of the radio EDM world, is disingenuous. I mean, some of them are trying to pretend to be techno now as well. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like, because, well, what, here's the positive to take from that, that there's a, if there's a rise in a particular genre or a particular sound, then people are more in love with the genre of the sound and the individuals being the flag bearer of that of of those. You know, like this might not be the coolest thing to say, but I don't I don't give a shit. But I look at some of these I look at some of the like Tale of Us events and the Art Bat events and they got their branding down. The events look crazy. They look good. I'm like, wow, like I can even, I can tell you what Manolo Tough looks like. I can tell you what the Arbeck guys look like, but I don't want to know what they look like. They're not plastered on posters, you know, when I walk down the street. I, I can tell, and I like that. Mixed with the fact that their events look incredible. You know, whether it's out of a freaking old castle in Romania or wherever, like, they put on the show. And what I am liking right now is the emphasis to the live experience. And I think post-lockdown, the people that are going to prefer within this industry are the ones that double down on the experience they are given to the listener. And that is a pendulum swing from the EDM DJ. Let me give you a sort of counterpoint to that, because that is something I've definitely considered too, but in a slightly different way. So I think the way the way I've thought about it and the way I've you know, heard it described and heard it discussed is that yeah the 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 current young generation don't buy things they buy experiences which is to say that they're more in, interested in you know, traveling somewhere and going to a you know a beautiful beach than buying a new car or whatever like this is the kind of sort of stereotype but i think it does have some um there's some accuracy there and then the way that translates into music is that music becomes almost a kind of add-on to this experiential thing. So how, how does music, where does music sit, basically is what I'm asking you, in this new paradigm which is emerging? Like, is it diminished necessarily or can it continue to go no, Not at all. I saw, um, we're, we're, we're here to soundtrack people's experiences. Okay. And people people's experiences operate on a multitude of levels, whether it's in a dark dungeon club 
you know, in London, Berlin, wherever, you provide that experience. It could be someone walking along a beach, you provide that experience. You know, driving their car to and from work, you provide that experience. Depending on the type of music you make. We're here to soundtrack and almost elevate emotion for people's lives. That's it. It's to elevate people's lives in some way or another. So you mentioned, you know, the the you say the younger generation style buying experiences as opposed to buying goods. Now <clears throat> I saw a Weirdly, I saw like a, um, there's a philosopher in Eastern Europe uh, called Sizek. Um, not sure you're aware of him. And he, he, I saw a live video on freaking Instagram story or something the other day, uh, which I'm, which. As the way to consume philosophy, right? <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I, I'm on there too much. Like, it's, uh, yeah, but yeah, he popped up and I was like, oh, no, what's he got to say? And he, he was speaking about, there's a dis- disingenuous nature and it, He's just speaking about himself, but I identified as well as disingenuous nature with museums and art galleries. When he goes to a city, he goes to a museum and an art gallery, looks at some paintings, and it's just like there's a fakeness in order to be inspired by that. Whereas he said, I much prefer just walking through, you know, a town in Slovenia with my headphones on. That experience is completely undervalued. It's a completely undervalued, like we, we are, we are a time capsule for that moment. Like I, I, I like to listen to classical music. I have a 10 month year old baby and uh, I put on all like the classical stuff to help him sleep at night. And it's like, it transports you, like even though I wasn't around in those times, but it can transport you to, to, to that. So it's like, it's great that if mass consciousness is switching more towards the experience. Sorry, let, let me just ask you to clarify that because do you do you mean the experience rather than personalities? Is they're, that what you mean by that? I'd say you know with afterlife events or or similar events, they're they're providing a canvas in which people can have a uh, a great experience, as opposed to the focus just being the guy on the stage. Is that what you mean? Hundred percent. Or it's like, oh my God, like looking so and so, oh my God, so and so is here. It's like, now don't get me wrong, it's like the hardcore fans obviously know who they are, what they look like, and there's that, you know. But then again, you know, that's that's the personal stuff I like. But then again, I've never seen so much stardom to towards acts that are considered underground, you know, whereas there are an after party DJing and there's like people straggling around and it's like, yeah, that's not cool. Like the, the, the <laughs> DJing has never been so uncool. It has never been so uncool. Making music has never been fucking cooler. I mean, I find, like the actual music, the the ability to make something from your mind's eye, and so many people have access to that now, due to the way technology has changed to make music to then see that one day affect thousands is so beautiful. What I don't feel was beautiful is the um, the stardom side of it and how many followers you have. I'm probably saying this from a bitter place because I don't have many social media followers, but I also don't 
like social media. I also don't work it. I don't do TikToks every day. It's just something innate in me. But I also saw a lot of people who didn't move into the social media world suffer from it. Some very, very talented acts who are in their right mind to know there's something repugnant about or narcissistic about social media who kind of fell by the wayside of relevancy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think social media, I mean, it's kind of an obvious point, but it, but it's a fundamental one, right? Like it's just become ubiquitous and just saying that is 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 obvious but but in the context of of a music career there is the occasional outlier like helena half springs to mind but in terms of some people who are looking for sort of more mainstream success or even even you know just making music which might have mainstream potential there isn't really anyone We've we've got we've got quite deep in the weeds here. We're away, slightly away from the um, the areas that I wanted to discuss. Um, so I'm going to rein this in. Um, I want to channel you back to Los Angeles. What I want to ask you about really is um, is your experience working with labels, and particularly major labels, because you know as as we've sort of discussed, like the, this kind of like underground overground paradigm is a little bit of a it's a little bit of a murky area and it kind of depends on where you stand sort of philosophically, I think, with, with music. But um, just at a general level, like how do you feel about record labels now? Like what does being on a major, like what do majors bring to the table, you know, like for, for an artist, would you say? <clears throat> okay, so firstly, major labels. Major labels do not want to sign electronic music. That simple. Electronic music is not, the bread and butter of major labels. If you want to be a if you want to be signed to a major label, and it make you a global superstar, be Adele. And guess what? Adele's not even on a major label. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, be yeah. That simple. And then prepared to have a lot taken from you in order to to have a lot. Um, but but that but it swings and pendulums in in ten years time. But I remember when <clears throat> I remember coming to America and being being somewhere with a very big manager in dance music about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, and I'm laughing that dance music was so big and hip hop was dead. And, I, and, in my he- and in my head, I was like, yeah, that's, yeah, uh, don't be like that. And then look at it now, the other way is, it, it, you know, that's great. It's great. Things should change. You know, like people are going to make creative decisions when there's no financial ambitions for it. So great. Let, let dance music die right now. Even though it's not dead. It's not dead. It's just, it is dead to the companies that have billions of dollars of turnover. It is dead to Lucy and Grange. It won't be if it suddenly things change again. I mean, who are you signed to at the moment? Uh, Universal. Right. So it does still exist, the major label dance music thing. So to to, to contradict myself, <laughs> to contradict myself, the, let's, let's be honest, there's, if you kind of have a little bit of an understanding of uh, the distribution network, the major labels have a stranglehold on distribution like you would with a drug dealer. You take out the competition. 
you there there was an there, there was a weird not a weird it's not weird it's it's a great era there was about um around 2014 when a lot of streaming platforms are relatively new one in particular there was opportunity for the, these records that didn't weren't that had independent aggregators and like becoming massive massive records I haven't heard one of those records in five, six years. And that's down to the major label uh, domination of of streaming playlisting, essentially. Yeah, I mean, they, they own the companies. So other than Apple Music and Amazon, they could the shareholders are. Yeah, I mean, Spotify is obviously publicly traded now, but um, and, uh, and uh, the shareholders, uh, share price doesn't go. Major labels. Right, but it's not, it's, it's not like it was prior to, prior to the float where it was literally owned... By directly owned, I mean, mm-hmm. um, without the opportunity for, for other other people to to invest. But um, okay, so but in answer to my original question, which was what does a major bring to the table for an artist? So what what a major label does bring? So again, to to show you the other side of the or the coin or the other side of the pyramid, what a major label does does do is have the ability if you if you make a a record that is relevant. To, to this world or or record that connects with people, they do have the power to take your record and be it and have it played to the farthest outreaches of the world. And I'll give you an example. I had I had a text message from a friend a couple of, like a year ago or so and they said, I'm at a, I'm at a market store in India and they're playing your music. That is a powerful tool to have. So as you know, as much as I say, oh, you know, well, if a company's owned by another company, obviously they're going to do things to benefit that company. Yeah, of course they are. It's, it's human nature. Um, but the flip side, from being an artist that is contracted for X amount of records to to that, if you have someone at the label pushing your music, the the other thing with labels as well is is there's a culture of fear where if success is not met, you lose your job. You know, it's, it's plain and simple. You mean within the staff at the label, you mean? Yeah, so it's, it's not even a case of like, uh, I, I, know, I know one particular A&R uh, labeled, um, I'm not even signed to, truly deeply knowledgeable on dance music, truly deeply knowledgeable, but has benchmarks they have to hit. It's, 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 it's that so it, it comes from above it's not necessarily people working the label but yeah the, the other thing is there's just so much noise there's just so much noise there's just so much volume so much noise that we're, we're not in a battle for for finance we're in, we're in a battle for attention and this is where social media comes into play and what I said about some very talented honest acts who this, who did not jump on the social media bandwagon fell by the wayside lost relevancy because they stopped being in people's consciousness now that's a very very scary thing to it's it's a bit sad and a bit scary when you realize success now is merited on how much of someone's disc space in their brain can you take up and People like the Cardassians realise that. That's why if it's a treat or whatever, and it's like, you, you can't escape it. You cannot escape it. And it's very, it's not very often 
someone does that in a charismatic way. Like when it, when someone does it charismatically, then it, it's kind of good. When it feels natural, you mean? And when it kind of, it just feels like something like, yeah, so when someone has genuine star quality. Oh, right? it's not natural when it gets to the top. When you talk, when you talk. No, but if, the, I mean, it feels natural, I guess. And if. Uh, I, I give you an example. Like when I see Tyler DeCrea pop up on my Instagram feed or, or wherever, but I like him. You know what I mean? It's like, he makes great music. He, he, he's, he's funny as fuck. Whereas kind of other showbiz type things, it's like, oh God, oh. like what, what, what are they bringing to my experience? It's like, not a lot. Just, oh, oh yeah, we get it. You're rich. Oh yeah. Wow. Like it's, it's, there's, there's levels to it. But what we're talking about, the absolute global kind of corporation type setting within the media is there is an absolute network of like publicists and bots and everything. You know, the, we're, we're in a world now where there's there's two wars going on. You've got like real life war, which I, I don't even want to speak about or get into and know anything about. But in history, you have real war and then you have cultural war. Okay. And consciousness can be changed by both. All right. You know, the, you, you look at the Cold War, the way the Cold War was won was through social um, social engineering. Yeah, it was it was the realisation that a better life was, was, was possible, right? Exactly, exactly. Oh, buy this hamburger in, you know, in Moscow. Oh, it's great. The rest is great. Oh, you, it's completely engineered. That was a cultural war. Now, a cultural war is being played out on the internet right now. There is bots and distortions happening left, right and centre. But speaking on a music level, taking it <laughs> down a, a peg or two, the same... Uh, it's just, I, I'm saying this. This is someone who doesn't adopt this, by the way, but someone who's, who is aware of this kind of activity. But the... Purely from a business or corporation or whatever side of things, the, the it's not about making money. It's about how much of people's attention can you can you grab. But that does filter down into music, and it's fucking scary. It's scary because a lot of the way it's done very calculated and uncharismatically and unorganically. Yeah, I mean the way TikTok has just sort of taken over this is is pretty scary. I was talking to this, I was talking to Chris Liebing about this and the extent to which, like, well, just how like the um like the initial like like dopamine hit for a piece of music has just shortened and shortened and shortened, and now we're down to this kind of fifteen seconds or, or you know the first couple of seconds of a TikTok clip is the kind of most important thing. Does that resonate? So, so the same about music, <clears throat> you um. There was a point uh, with radio where if the intro was more than eight seconds, you had a problem. If um, if the chorus wasn't within the first minute, you 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 had a switch off rate and all, all of that. We we live in a world where, and even more so, where algorithm is 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 success. However, it's not, there, there is this ten percent which it does not exist to. There is 10% where people, a lot of people are smart people. A lot of people do look at things a little bit more in depth. And, you know, not everybody is a, like a walking NPC in a 
video game is that the, the, I, I do have faith that people would never love music more so than, than they have now. It's the, you know, I think the ability to be able to digest so much music and so much different music leads to a much more kind of educated listener. Um, I think that we're, we're in a good place with that. However, what happens is there, there is certain codes that successful things do have. And then it's the everybody doubling down and trying to do that. And then it and then and then that leads to a like a um an uncharismatic, boring culture. Well this this always happens, doesn't it? I mean always like success yeah. is emulated, right? People look at something and they think, Oh, I can do that, I wanna do that. What have those people done to achieve that? And then and then it gets copied. I mean it's interesting that um it's the kind of flip side. I mean, taking it out of music a little bit, just start talking about you know attention. Like the kind of flip side of that kind of TikTok phenomenon is like the long form podcasts of which obviously we're on now is extraordinarily popular. You know, it's just as a format. I mean, like people just like can't get enough of of this kind of longer form stuff. And I, I wonder if there's um, room for that to you know infect music or affect probably to put it in a slightly nicer way um yes and no, I, th- I think podcasts or i mean just speaking from my own experience the the podcast serves as a as a soundtrack to doing something else so like I, I might stick on a long long form podcast to because i'm doing my emails or i have like something on in the background or or you know i'm you know on a journey or having to having to go somewhere so you know, I try, I try and tap into podcasts where the information on the podcast I can either entertains or educates me. So, you know, the idea that everybody's attention span is just like, is like nanoseconds now, isn't truly accurate. It, it is on a mass, but like I said, you know, not everybody is the same. It, it, there, there is an appetite. I, I, I think what, what it is that I think things on a mainstream level become so safe and stupid that there's such an appetite for podcasts and other things for slightly deeper understanding, deeper learning on certain subjects. Um, and the reason why, you know, you don't have like hour long shows on ITV at 8pm on a Saturday night is because everyone's going to fucking switch off. You know, the reason why you have like Ant and Deck on your TV on a Saturday night you know, why you eating Chinese takeaways because it's, it's like an, it's, it works and there's advertisers and there's shareholders and it's, it's, you know, money, money really is the root of <laughs> fucking well evil. However, who am I to say, like, you, you, who am I to tell people not to enjoy that or what to enjoy? To me, like growing up in the UK and in hindsight, the repetition of mainstream culture is one of the most depressing fucking experiences of my life. Like just that, you know, that culture of like, okay, you know, like I said, you know, switch on the TV, primetime telly, oh, you know, what's on tonight? Blind date. Like, what? The f- you know, fuck up. This is true everywhere though, right? This is not a... No, no, it's just like across the world. Rest in peace, Silver Black, you know. But you know, this is best to sell a black. But it's like, what? Like, 
you know, you know, this is like, you know, like growing up in the late nineties and the early two thousands. There's only X amount of like channels in which, um, you know, things were transmitted to millions of people, and you know, and now it's kind of decentralized slightly, but also not. You know, that that comes into play and, and all of that. But there, there is like, there is like a a, a real depression in stamping out, you know, God, I'm sounding like such a freaking anti, you know, I'm a, I'm a social, a champagne socialist with the, you know, with the best of them, trust me. Um, I, 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 I am the biggest hypocrite. Uh, but it's something truly depressing in like the anesthesia type media. They're just, uh, you know, they never conjure any emotion. They never you know, have any effect. They're just, it's just there. Yeah, it's the the opiate of the people, right? Like, you know, I'm really starting to sound like the movie They Live, you know. It's like, there's no, there's no lizard people like, you know, coming come to get you. But if you actually break it down a little bit, it's like, no, there's, it's not, there's not some like grand, the over-yielding like, um, overarching thing that's like, the, it's just, it's just the way it's money. It's money. This is what, you know, the, you know, I, I think as an art, like to really, really take it back down to like music level as an artist, you go ask yourself and, and, and both. So when I say this, both serve a fucking purpose. Do you even want to be McDonald's, the biggest restaurant in the world? Or do you want to be that Michelin star restaurant out in the middle of nowhere? Like in, you know, in Barcelona where you have to drive two hours and only 12 diners can eat a night. Now, one makes a lot more money than the other. One makes a lot more people happy than the other. One isn't better than the other when you take ego out of it. But as an artist, but I'm not saying this start to try and be cool and like trying to tell everybody, oh yeah, be the mission start. No, no, no. If you are inspired by radio hit records, I was inspired by radio hit records. Like I was inspired by Armin van Helden, Daft Punk, Chemical Brothers. I was just very fucking lucky that there was good dance music on the UK media, uh, mainstream networks at that time. I still remember seeing Daft Punk the Funk come on TV where the video was the dog, uh, the dog walking through New York with the, uh, uh, with the hi-fi system in his hand. It was, the, it was, it was, in, it was insane. And I remember seeing that alongside fucking Michael Jackson or something. And it was like, what the fuck is this? You know, Prodigy coming along. What the fuck is this? And there has to be a balance. And that's what was beautiful, you know, in the sense that, okay, you had this mainstream stuff, but there also was like this, yeah, kind of like this kind of clash, but a real fucking balance. That's kind of gone. That's the sad thing. It's like, what? But I also don't know. It's very easy to judge it because we have things like Top of the Pops or you know, Radio 1 or, or things like that. But what, what, my question to you is what has replaced that? What, what does, consu- where do people consume music? Well, I think, I think the difference, I think in answer to your question, like what has replaced it is that, like there are far fewer like big cultural, like pan-cultural moments now, whether it's big movies or big albums, like even big artists. And the entirety of the cultural landscape has, I think has been, been fragmented um, to a large extent and people have 
kind of separated themselves out into into tribes basically and i think this is is reflected in 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 many ways across society but i think in in the case of music like like, like there are so many scenes compete they're not they're not competing i was gonna say competing but they're not even really competing they're just there and there are so many things that which are actually really quite big which you've never heard of and this is another thing from a Dave Clark conversation. Actually, we were talking about like the the pressure to conform as an artist to a certain thing within your little bit of the, of the industry. And I was, you know, it just struck me that you know this fragmentation has really led to people really expecting very specific things from their acts, from their musicians, and I think that's also true for other areas of of entertainment too. And it's difficult to see how that particular journey gets put back in the bottle, you know, because because of the way media is so diverse now, social media um, being so ubiquitous and just like, you know, the, there is no like, you know, you don't put on ITV on on Saturday night, like you were saying, like, you know, like as was all of our experience when we were growing up. There just isn't the equivalent of that now. Anyway, um I want to talk about about albums, which has been a uh, repeating topic on the show going back to the very first episode. You had the extreme misfortune of releasing an album just as the pandemic hit, didn't you? Which was uh, not, not not the best timing. It must have been pretty frustrating with the uh, with the touring side of it. But I just want to keep on the actual album thing in particular. And mentioned before that you're in the process of writing another one at the moment, but. Your first one was, uh, you were very well established by the time you've, you've released it. And I know you've been on records previously as to saying that you approached it in a slightly different way that you've been making your records up to that point. So what I wanted to ask you to, to kick off really is like, how do you see the album format in 2022? This is something I've asked basically everyone that's been on the show. Uh, to what extent is it still a relevant format to work on regardless of you know how you might feel about it sort of personally. And I've, I've been on record and said before, do not make albums, by the way. So what I'm about to say is probably fucking wrong. The cold scientific approach right now is an album sells your show. So get out of the beat pool, free dance records a year, if you're lucky, every other DJ is playing your record. Because an album will make you into an artist as opposed to a genre. And people, the way things are made, you're more likely to have success as an artist as you're a token within a genre. Yeah, it's really interesting what you say about the link to live there. Because DJing has been like the kind of highest sort of profit margin business in music for for many years now but being a a live act is something totally different I suppose artistically and maybe that's where the album links come in but I think like possibly your experience of this is a little bit different um being signed to a major label so can you tell us a little bit about the sort of business side of that I mean the signing of a deal and like you know commitment there two things number one I have to take extreme ownership over what I mean you offer a deal when someone signs it. Hey, it's the person who signed it, right? That's that's their problem. You got to remember the de- you know deals. You know when when a deal goes over ten years, it's like uh, it's a bit much. And there there's been so a lot of positive things that have come from 
music being able to to be played in far-reaching places around the world. So, you know, I'm not going to come in and, like, bash institutions or labels because it's business. They they do what they need to do in order to make money. It's, it's fine. It's like there's there's that, no resentment for that. The, the question mark you've got to raise is who's advising you to sign a deal? Who has, at the time, a far more reach in knowledge than I do or did or things like that? That's where it gets murky. And the, the irony is that it's, it's not a label. It's, it's fine. But yeah, it goes against me not putting red light, green light, I got you blah, 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 on, on these records. But you've got to put out music in order to stay relevant. So, yeah, that's, that's the Cash 22. You know, I could probably... My next album, I could probably put records from years ago on there. And, and there's an album, and it, but it would have no narrative story or relevance. But, but that... So it's, it's, a, it's almost a service to the listener. Right. It's the service to the listener as opposed to my actual slightly best interests, yeah. Sure. So um, can you talk us through how you approached the writing of, of that uh, duality record then and, and how it differed from how you'd gone about things previously? Working on an album took, oddly takes a bit of pressure off trying to make a record that has X amount of streams. I knew I really wanted to develop my, my live show and my concert show. And I knew an album could do that and add to a lot of that. And that's basically where it came from. When I made you know, a record with Ryx called Let Me Go, there was no way that was going to be have any commercial viability to it. But it is one of the best moments when I do a show it's not a streaming record but it's a piece of music that conjures the right type of energy I want to conjure in, in a live in a live environment and then there's a few records from the album a record called uh, The Power and uh, Therapy and a few others where you know it, it it's going to tick the boxes on on being a good record on dance music playlists but also having a marriage where I, I, and having a balance where this still works in doing what I do. So, you know, an, an album does need a few of those, but it also allows me to, to play, a, play an arpeggiator for two minutes and not, not freak out because there's not a bass kick about to come in. So, oddly, albums have given me a bit more freedom um, as opposed to being known as someone who might have a song on daytime music radio. And that's, and that's great. That's great because it's like, you know, like I said, you know, I have the financial freedom in order to to do that, and also the the understanding of the of my craft of the music making process in order to you know to to do that. And just you know, my my, my sole being at the moment is just make audio and visual elements that can conjure up. An incredible experience for people. That that is it. So nothing else gets in the way of that. And luckily, an album does that. You know, I I 
like I love the fact that I could show a bit of artistry on albums, which is completely uninstalled from anybody if the sole purpose is streaming numbers. You know, there's and just to kind of change the subject a little bit, I saw like during um during lockdown, uh, I saw a lot of people panic. A lot of people you would never think would or had a different rhetoric in trying to have commercial viability to survive. And it was quite interesting to see certain moves certain people were making in order to to reach that. Um, and it all come from the same place, and that was fear. Fear. And... It was rough. Like, I don't think any anyone had any sympathy for touring DJs or touring acts who make an average income at the best of times and just and just were fucked because of lockdown. It was sad. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I was just going to say, I mean, the fear was pretty justified in, in many cases, right? 100%. Um, and it, it doesn't devalue the person or the artistry or anything within them in order to be like, oh, fuck, I need to do this. I was there. I know uh, I had a lot of empathy for acts that went through that. You know, I had the luxury where I could take a year and a half, two years off. And if this happened in 2011, 10 years ago, I'd be fucked. I'd, 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 I'd actually probably have to retire from music. Or ne- not retire from music, but go back and get a real job, and um, and do it on a Saturday and Sunday like I, I used to have to. And it and it's it's interesting what fear can do. It can it it, it can actually it's that fire flight. It, it can actually work for you. Oh, it can be massively motivating, right? It really can. It's not it's not completely. That's why I've always had a massive chip on my shoulder for rich kids getting into the music. I've always had a massive chip on my shoulder and it's completely down to me and not to, not to rich kids that they had the socioeconomic means to make whatever the fuck they wanted from day one. Okay. Now, whatever they wanted and trust me, there's a lot <laughs> in, in this industry that you <laughs> oh, will yeah, not know sure. about. It's for when the sure. public schoolboys put on a really thick London accent. It's like, oh, come on, mate. Come on, mate. Like, pull the other one. And, like, you know, the, their video and their aesthetic is very urban. It's like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> uh, it's like they're doing the opposite of what they... But that's completely down, completely down to jealousy on my behalf. Because my, my journey had to be taken a slightly different path. You know, my journey had to be a slightly different path in order to get to where I'm at at the moment. Um, and it is, it is completely down to jealousy. Um, and I, and, and, and all the, yeah. I mean, having, having, there is something to be said for having limitations placed upon you. Um, I mean, obviously, you're, you know, what you've just referred to there is, is not a limitation that you would, anyone would choose to have. But in terms of, um, you know what we just said. Like fear can be can be a motivating factor. Fear can be something which makes you get out of bed and and get to work. And 
it can be that, you know, once you have a degree of success, um, you get comfy and it's difficult to re um, like rediscover that, that hunger that made you get to the place that you got to in the first place. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, I must have 200 pieces of audio on my computer that just need arranging into songs. Um, they're still there, sitting there. Um, and I'll give you an example. I, I did a gig on Friday and I said to myself, take one of these fucking ideas and finish it. And no matter, no matter the state it is in, fucking play it. Because it's one of those shows where there wasn't a lot riding on it. I kind of get away with it. There was no like video wall or anything in the back. So it's like, you know, okay, I could, I could get away with this. I said to myself, no matter what, and up until I headed to the show, like thirty minutes before, I'm still like, okay, hi hat, okay, blah blah blah, and I played out, and it and it worked. It was legitimately like one of the biggest songs in the set, and I was like, I kind of missed that like urgency, that like this has to be done to a fucking deadline, because if I don't, then this and it's got to be good. <laughs> but and it exactly, it has to have some kind of reaction. Now, there's that one side of it, the the urgency, but here's the other side of it as well. And this is where I, 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 I'm slightly jealous, more so of the start of my career than, than I am now. And that, and that is this. In order to be truly creative, you cannot operate under fear. You cannot operate under fear. You cannot operate under what will people think. You know, like I'm talking true levels of creativity or high level volume of creative outlet is cannot operate. There has to be an environment in order... In order for creativity to be fertile, you have to be fucking chilled. You have to be relaxed. You have to be in a positive mindset. Like mental well-being and depression is, and this is what like a lot of touring acts will go through this, okay? Because it, it can be fucking rough when you are touring in a world where you're flying economy, you have no tour manager, and you are doing a hundred fucking shows a year that will more or less start to break anybody. Okay. Here's the fucked up thing. When you suffer from depression, you become almost like a shell of a person. So when you listen to music, when you listen to, when you, so when you watch a film, things that have an emotive quality are met with a kind of blank, a blankness from the individual. Depression makes it an inability to be creative because when we make music we are going off what's having an emo emotional quality upon us what's making us dance what's making us country in emotion and then capitalizing upon that and then making it in order for ho hopefully to have the same impression on other people mental well-being and you know I, I don't want to sound like one of these fucking like campaigns that you see and it's like, oh, shut up. Like, oh, it's cheesy. But it's no fucking joke. Like, you have to look after yourself. Totally. I mean, I've been in a position where um, just listening to music just gave me anxiety. Like, after after, after having that sort of touring schedule you've just described, um, you, I just got myself into a state where I just found it, like, like just, just anything to do with music was just, you know, like triggering to use a you know a word that I don't like much, but but actually you know describes it quite well. You know, and and you're you're absolutely right. You you have to be in a in a place where you can 
get to whatever is in there. And and being depressed is is like you know it's the polar opposite. Yeah, it it, it just um, and then it's getting into then into that role of like, oh sure, I need to release something, and then more pressure. Oh shit, I have to pay. I have to pay the bills. More pressure, and to to come out of that cave, that dark hole, is fucking tough for a lot of people, and it's even to the point when when you said like even listen to music it's like being in a world where and, and this is why as i said you know i'm very isolated i'm very detached from the, the the dj scene right it's partly for this reason is i don't want and i used to kind of have this is you don't want to listen to a piece of you don't want to listen to a record from that's popular within your genre but actually not very good if that makes sense, because it's like, oh shit, do I have to make music like this now? Do I have to, uh, you know, do I have to, does it have to have this? Does it have to have to drop and blah, blah, blah? Because so and so did this and now they're getting, the, you know, they could get the DJ gig that I'm going to get, blah, blah, blah. That is mental, all right? That is like, it's natural to suffer from that. Doesn't most people within the dance music DJ network are in that lock. Okay, but oh my God, it will eat you up. It will fucking cannibalize you. In the sense that this real, and I wouldn't even say fake confidence because confidence comes through ability. Real confidence is ability. Okay, just fucking persevere. Have that confidence in yourself and your, your own taste that you don't have to conform or or if you can take something from that like apply it it's just a very there's a very keep there's very keeping up with the joneses yeah totally ideal within within 4-4 music oh well what's what's so and so doing oh oh they sold they sold x amount of it oh wow it's like and then the people who are having success, they, what they don't realise is they start, everyone's kissing their ass, but everyone's stabbing them in the back at the same time. Like, they are hated. They are hated. It's like, it's, it's all, it's like partly down to envy, it's partly down to jealousy, it's down to self-reflection. Um, and it's and that, then that person's probably like anxious. It's just like, strip all that fucking back and try and, Try and keep things super fucking simple. And what I've realised is you just, just like, I know it sounds like fucking self-help, but just do you, just do you, because there's someone, there's someone going to be better at trying to do something that you're not. Yeah, always, always. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if what you do isn't that good, at least like you have peace of mind of like, yeah, you know what, I can done any better. I like, I, I, you know, work my ass off for that, but that kind of, that I I I saw lockdown, unfortunately, really exuberate that for a lot of people. Totally, and it was like, you know, and it's in it, and it sucked. But it's for everybody to like find their own voice and find their own uh, kind of journey and path. Um, but uh, you know, I, I feel I feel for people that you know. I'm saying this as someone who's, who's gone through that, you know. But I like to think, I, to say I'm like rid of that, it's probably bullshit. It's probably 
ten percent on me still like that. But fuck me, like when I was first starting out, uh, that was just I didn't release a record for four years. Between I think between the Giver and Need You, didn't release a record. Fear, absolute fear, or was no or before the Giver, um, didn't release a record because I because it had been so long, and I was like, I have to make a record that changes the world. It's like shut, what the fuck is. <laughs> I mean, I think like you said, if like if you can get into a position throughout the course of a career where you can look yourself in the face and say, I tried my best and I did the things that I was supposed to do and stay true to myself, then then that's as much as you can do, really, regardless of the success that you then go on to have or not have, as it were. Anyway, listen, man, this has been great. I've just got one more thing I want to ask you before we go. Um because we've been racking on now for, for a while, I just realised um, we've been going on. Um, we've just been talking about albums, and just give me a few albums that were influential to you growing up. <sighs> albums, I mean... Which is a terrible question to put, be put on the spot with, I realise, but <laughs> go on. It's, like, it's, it's weird because like, from an electronic music standpoint, there's very few albums that really impacted me. I mean thing like listening to albums like my dad used to be one of like he's, he's a record dealer so if I'm literally going way back and progressing to childhood there was always a multitude of records in the house like boom just put it on he like you know let me use the record player and I still remember being a kid I had like graphic equalizer and like pretending like I was mixing a fucking record when I was like six years old um and then like trying to do spin backs and then getting really pissed off with that on these like vintage fucking vinyl um <laughs> so i you know you gotta remember this is pre youtube days <laughs> so like we couldn't i mean the the magic of just putting in a record oh it's just god knows i haven't listened to this for 20 years but i i i grew up listening from anything from psychedelic music to the beatles to motown like you know i still hold you know songs in the key a lot is it Songs in the Key of Life, um, Stevie Wonder, you know, those those records, like Talking Book, like, fuck it. Like, those are, you know, that's grown up, but how does that relate to what I do now? It doesn't at all. What does inspire me now is, you know, when Fred again does, does an album. You know, it's not necessarily completely, I'm not completely obsessed with it in the sense that I think it's, musically the great thing is fantastic it's really good but just that like kind of just that archetype of someone that is having success for an album you know Miramasso and uh Jamie XX it's like oh no fucking fair play to you guys man because it's almost like I identify as like you just laid out like you are in front of your speakers going crazy putting the hours in Churning out stuff, so it's more of like an affiliation, like an imp- like oh, I, I I can relate to what you're doing. So that's like for me, like those what what they do. But if you're talking electronic albums, it doesn't have to be electronic, you know. I, I, I and and it's gonna. I always the one thing I, I haven't actually heard anyone really do this. I might I might steal it. I still remember when I, I forgot what album it was with Aphex Twin, where it was literally acid track, piano concerto, fucking piano piece, piano sonata, 
acid track, piano track, acid track, then like ambient piano track. It's like, the fuck? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> and I, and the, the irony of it all is I still, the piano music he does is still some of the greatest pieces of piano music written in the 21st century or, or the 20th century. It's like, it's a complete, like to me personally, it's completely outlasted a lot of the acid stuff he, he was making, which he was known for. Oh, like glitchy, glitchy. Oh, it's like, yeah, okay, we get it. Like, yeah, IDM, blah, blah, blah. We get it. But the actual, the musical element of it, not the computer generated, generative kind of stuff, but the musical stuff as the like, to me personally, is like, uh, that's going to last 100 years. It, it can literally go down with some of the best pieces of classical music written or piano music written. So that that is like how many electronic acts kind of do that? Not many. None. So that that's inspiring. And then even you know the NFO and you know stuff coming out of Warp and Ninja Tune and you know even Domino labels like that. Like there, there probably isn't much respect as as much respect given to a lot of those British institutions as there probably should be of just just this that culture just um tapping into that and but the irony is like you get to that point and you listen to that when you know you're an eight-year-old kid who's just listened to a feature on fucking tv or whatever or whatever he's like oh good and then it's it's a fucking gateway you then oh yeah that inspired me oh i listened to daft punk and that inspired me you know i still hold daft punk the the live show in Birmingham Live 97 oh my god that's like surpasses their Coachella show you listen to the first five minutes of that rec- that performance oh yeah I mean I, I actually I actually saw them at Glastonbury live that year uh, they were still using guitar pedals weren't wearing masks like it was like you know it was it was great I, I wasn't like I, to be honest like I, I mean I was I don't know how old was I 16 or 17 or something and I'd been a sort of, I hadn't been a massive fan of, of the first album, but I'd kind of heard that they were really good live and just went to the dance center at Glastonbury to watch them. And it was just, it was genuinely mind blown. Yeah. It's that, I mean, I still, I still have that, that album is, sorry, that live recording is still etched in my head. I mean, the, the only other, the only other act that has given me that level of, like, oh fuck! I like on the electronic music tip, but listening to the live performance was Mode Selector when pre Mode Rat, like two or three albums in, when they turn up and do a live performance at the visuals and their laptops, and it would just be like, oh shit! <laughs> their early stuff is great. It's really great. Yeah, and it, it's like I, th- I think it's like. <sighs> There's a point with any artist's career where it gets to a point where it's like, you saw with the, the last Daft Punk album where it's like, yeah, time for the pipe and uh, loafers and sit at the fireplace to listen to this album. And it's like, uh, yeah, it's lost this energy. And I, I do think that energy <laughs> leaves everybody. You know, look at fucking Mick Jagger. <laughs> fucking read them out. Off you do, you know, trot, trot around. 
it leaves everybody, all right? You can't explain it. There is this fucking energy that can't take over people and, 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 it, and, it, and it then leaves. Saying that, though, the, the record they did with Panda Bear on, on that album was fucking incredible. They still, you know, the I, I still hold down um, I Feel It Coming with The weekend as possibly the best piece of pop music in the last fucking five years. Um, you know, I, I learned... Like I feel it coming by with the weekend. I listen to that record and it inspires me like as much as any fucking left field music because I'm like, oh fuck! Like I am obsessed with well crafted pop music. It's the reason I made Ocean Drive because I studied how classic pop music was made, and Ocean Drive came about purely from emotion it was purely trying to conjure a kind of slightly dirty LA like 2am neon lights kind of a, I think I just watched the, the uh, film Drive right yeah and I was like okay I want to want to do something synth pop want to do something cool but then is getting the, the bass the chords the drums all of that in place the vocals in place and then it's like yeah but how do you do the next part? How do you make a timeless record? And you make a timeless record in electronic music by installing human and a humanistic element to it that is beyond synths and computer music. And that comes from guitars, that comes from strings or whatever. You know, you look at a lot of the classic 90s house records, it's like there's strings on it. There's... You know, go and listen back to a Moby record that still sounds relatively good today. Or it comes from sampling. So whether it's Fatboy Slim sampling an, an old funk record or a folk record or something, or Moby doing it, it's like, well, that's been in the dance, sorry, that's been in music consciousness for 100 years. So you want something to exist in 100 years' time or 50 years' time. Well, guess what? Strings that still sound good. You know, the sound design aspect is what expires music quickly. So um Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so anyway, what inspires me is yeah, I mean it's right now it's more so like the live the live performances. And just to wrap up, like what was super interesting doing Coachella this year was and use this as anyone who's slightly le- anyone who's slightly left thinking and making music at the moment, use this as inspiration. The acts that were spoken about Coachella this year on a dance music level were not the DJs. They were the acts that had made albums. They were the acts who demonstrated their albums in some kind of musical context. They were not the acts who have happened to made a tech house record. That's Coachella. That's the most commercial music festival in the world bear that in mind yeah yeah man well listen this has been awesome thanks for doing it really appreciate it it's been great thanks Paul thanks for your patience and uh, thanks uh, thanks for your time much appreciated yeah that was Duke Dumont and as I mentioned at the top of the show nice to have someone contributing here who's actually had some hit records and um, yeah he had some interesting insights into quite a lot of different things. I mean, particularly, 
speaking from the vantage point of experiencing all sides of electronic music from the kind of underground to up to the billions of streams major label stuff so um really interesting we didn't get into anywhere near as much as i wanted to on this episode for a couple of different reasons but i think there's probably room to have him back on talk about maybe the making of records um how he approaches the writing process that's something really interesting to me and the kind of myth i guess of major label stuff is that there's a million people involved in the writing of all tunes and all that kind of stuff. I'd be interested to get his take on, you know, how true all that stuff is and various other things besides. But yeah, that was a really cool conversation generally. So um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So just before we go this week, we have Closet Yee on Hot Flush this week with the full release of her EP Simmer. Get that on hotflush.bandcamp.com. There's been two singles out from it so far, but the full five tracks is out this Friday, 1st of July. I will be playing in Sheffield this weekend, Friday night, also 1st of July. So uh, check my Twitter for full details of that. Really looking forward to it. I haven't played out for a little while. So um, yeah, looking forward to that one. And should have some more confirmed dates soon, some North America dates, I think over the summer so yeah looking forward to those too i think we're done here so finally just leave us a review or a rating wherever you're listening to this gonna have some patreon news next week i think join us in the discord hotflushrecordings.com slash discord if you've got anything to say about the show anything about hot flush or affiliated labels all of that stuff get involved on the discord and finally follow the spotify playlist of the show which contains much of the music that we talk about including those duke dumont hits and obviously all the episodes too. So yeah, I'll be back here, same time, same place, for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.